Sir, have you noticed how North Edinburgh golfers put like this? And South Edinburgh golfers put like this? <coughs> eh? <coughs> eh? Oh, I see. Well, it's not funny unless he's down on his knees, scooping up your little brat's puke! This is our Everest. Greetings, culture vultures, and welcome to This Is Our Everest, the analogue TV podcast that is now 25% vaccinated against COVID-19. True. Yeah, take that, disease. Yeah, I haven't reacted particularly well to it. It's been a bit of a long weekend, you know, one thing or another. But, you know, it's good to have it done. (laughs) My arm isn't aching anymore, but I can still feel where it was done. This was like three days ago. Okay. Back in the dim and distant past when you were just walking around. Yep. Vulnerable. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm what? It's hard I'm to about remember. about 30% vulnerable now or something, aren't I? I haven't really, I haven't really yeah. looked into the statistics. I mean, we all know that vaccines don't actually oh, work. Christ. That's the official <laughs> no. line of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough of this jollity and enjoyment. Because we need to talk about Seaside Special. We do. Seaside Special was, it turns out, a BBC Light Entertainment programme. Yeah. That broadcast between 1975 and 1979. Mm -hmm. Uh, Each week there will be a different seaside resort, usually in a big top. And it will be presented by one of the Radio 1 or Radio 2 DJs who were, you know, very in vogue at that point. <laughs> They're not anymore. No, no, for various mm. reasons, not anymore. This episode is from the first series, 30th of August 1975. It comes from Jerry Cottle's Circus at Torbay. Yep. This is, it's the third visit that the first series has paid to Torbay, incidentally. I mean, actually, when it comes to the, the, the seaside resorts that they chose, I have to say, I, I mean, I've been to some of them, but uh, other ones are, I think, are slightly strange choices. I mean, obviously, I I am biased, uh-huh. being from the seaside myself. Uh, there's 17 different host venues over the four years and five series. You'll be unsurprised that Blackpool is one of them. Mm-hmm. Great Yarmouth, Pool, Torbay, mm-hmm. Scarborough, mm-hmm. South Sea, Weymouth, Cherbourg, Ooh. Eastbourne, Lowestoft, Bournemouth, Honfleur, Jersey, St Marlow, Bruges, mm. and the Isle of Man. Now, as you may have gathered there, Eurovision got uh, got into Seaside Special at about 1977, 78 okay. time. Which, in fact, led to a, a couple of additions coming from uh, Les in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I don't need to... I, I don't want to give a, a lecture about geography to the listeners of this podcast. But if there's one thing that you can say about Switzerland with regards to Seaside Special... <laughs> you know? 
What about Lakeside Special? Well, I mean, hopefully they did. They, they, they maybe they did for for those weeks. Quite an exotic and changing cast of locations and characters. Different big name guests every week. Every week they would have comedy act, a, a musical act, and the dance troupe new edition. Mm-hmm. Sadly, this being the first series, we didn't get the benefit of 1977's Miss Seaside Special. Oh, no. Which was a beauty contest that ran all through that series. Okay. Alas and alack. Mm-hmm. The theme tune is Summertime City by Mike Bat. <laughs> Today's host is Mr. Tony Blackburn. Hello and welcome to Sunny Torbay. Yep. So, Light Entertainment. Dead? Uh, yeah. Just about certain. Would you like to know my fun Light Entertainment fact? Yes, go Okay, on. I saw this on Twitter the other day and verified it. Right. Do you know the reason why the young ones had a musical act Every week. Well, given the fact we're now talking about light entertainment, I presume that it was probably something to do with wheedling a bit more budget. It was a they were they came under the light entertainment budget rather than the comedy budget. But one of the, the stipulation was they had to have a musical act. It makes sense. I mean, that said, the similarities between that and uh, this program and the young ones pretty much ends there. That they both had a music. Well, I mean, I, I think it probably reflect. I, I think it's probably something to reflect on that by 1981, that was coming out of the light entertainment department's budget. Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, this is your absolute old school, old standard by numbers British end of peer music hall show. Mm-hmm. And I and I hate it. I hated it. I hate it. It was really long. I mean, it was forty-five minutes long. But I mean, halfway through my notes, I'm already starting to count down how much time. And I just couldn't believe at times how much more of this wretched dreck <laughs> there was to go through. I mean, for a start, for a start. I want to know about the hosts, because obviously we've got Tony Blackburn hosting. Hello and welcome to Sunny Torbay. But Tony Blackburn, when he's introducing all the turns, introduces Roy Hudd as the host. Yeah. Now, if you've already, if you've got Roy Hudd and you're acknowledging that he's the host of the programme, mm. Roy Hudd is a fairly safe pair of yeah. hands. He can present a programme. He can do a bit of stand-up. He can sing a yeah. song. yeah. So what's Blackburn even doing? What's Tony? What's Tony Blackburn? Yeah. Or Blackburn's got nothing. Yeah, if Blackburn is doing it, then why are they calling him the host? I mean, Blackburn's role was he did a little bit of bantering with the audience, who were mostly, it has to be said, very middle-aged, <laughs> very old audience, very old audience. During the opening dance act by New Edition. Mm-hmm. which featured double denim and short shorts and the judicious and enthusiastic waving of Union flags throughout <laughs> For the some audience. fucking reason. This weird fucking island. Well, yeah, and there was occasional sort of 
enthusiastic screaming like you might expect from uh, the Bay City Rollers. But there's no way that that audience was enthusiastically screaming. So I can only assume that they were pumping in a sound effect, which sounds gormless until, of course, you get later into the programme and stick a pin in pumping in sound effects because that's coming back later and I'm still angry Mm -hmm. about that. Tony Blackburn's only role apart from a bit of banter with the audience and introducing the actual host of the programme, Roy Hart, seemed to be that he was participating in a demonstration of the Royal Navy's search and rescue facility. A a truly outstanding piece of television. The time has come now to go outside the tent, and here I am in a little rubber boat just off Torbay, and we're going to demonstrate how quickly the Royal Navy can get people who get into difficulties, as they sometimes do, out of the water. Here comes the helicopter piloted by John Lacey, whom we met a little bit earlier on. As you can see, the helicopter blades are really whipping up the water, and there is the Royal Navy diver. That must be a jump of some 50 feet, quite considerable there. Oh dear, there goes the rubber boat. I told you the downdraft was considerable. I think it was trying to get into the helicopter. Here's the difficult part, just getting into that sling. I think it's already fastened right now. Still a terrific draft from those helicopter blades. I'm in the sling, and the thumbs up means it's winching time. I think I've just dropped the diver off there, just hanging about in Torbay. And it's a beautiful view up there on a really lovely uh, sunny day, as you can see. It, it didn't feature in the programme at all. No, it was sort of an adjunct. It, yeah, he was doing this like, at a later date. He sort of shoehorned it in about halfway through. They said, so, yeah, well, you know, the Royal Navy, they save people in helicopters. And here's me off the, off the end of the coast in, in, in Torbay in a dinghy. Yeah. Um, and this fucking helicopter came along. And I think, <laughs> if anything, put him at significant greater peril than he had ever been in before. Oh, God. The downdraft of that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was unbelievable. And he was saying that there were frog divers, presumably to make sure that Tony Blackburn didn't drown. This is, you know, like 1975 help and safety. <laughs> You've got to bear that in mind. What? Yeah, I mean, it's an impressive yeah. stunt. Has it got spikes coming uh, it, out of it? No, probably safe then. It's not particularly entertaining. <laughs> um, apart from the, the brief moment of peril we you know, it looks like they might be about to kill Tony Blackburn, but of well, course you already know that they didn't yeah, kill yeah. Tony Blackburn. So, you know, the, the, there is really no peril. The whole thing has just been a big tease. And obviously Roy Hudd took one look at the dinghy and the helicopter and went, yeah, get Blackburn. Yeah. He'll do it. But you know, whenever I go to the seaside, swimming's my favourite pastime, and I'll tell you why. Now, every year about July, when summertime comes round, there's lots and lots of people at the seaside to be found. Some play golf or tennis, others like to have a rest. But here's the kind of exercise that I enjoy the best when I go swimming with the women. Well, I do have a real good time bobbing up and down in the water. It comes just below me, Mason Dixon. Let's take apart some of the acts, <laughs> the light entertainment acts that we got here. I mean, as I say, the, the opening act 
his new addition, the dance mm-hmm. troupe, short shorts, yeah. double denim. Then Roy Hudd. Mm-hmm. He's wearing... I was, I was taking careful note of what people were wearing. He was wearing uh, a white suit. So was Blackburn, wasn't he? And, I think so, and so so was Act 3, who we'll get Mm. to in a minute. White suit with striped shirt and an even whiter tie, Mm. so that you have two types of white. You don't often see Roy Hudd doing stand-up. No, you don't, no. Which, it it turns out, is a blessing. But, you know, it was your standard cracker jokes, shaggy dog stories. It's end of the pier stuff, you know, it's seaside special. Yeah, he told a story about a Frenchman and some donkey shit. Yeah. Particularly delighted the elderly. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, a decent proportion of those people could probably remember the First World War. A decent proportion of them could remember the Napoleonic Wars, I think. And then he breaks into a, a song. Yeah, it gets a bit of a he, Benny Hill dance on. Well, yeah, he's suddenly possessed by the spirit of Max Miller. Yeah. And he's like, right, going to sing a song about swimming. Yeah. They weren't short of budget for this programme. You know, it was. It all looked very glossy mm. and... Uh, they weren't having any trouble booking the big stars of light well, entertainment at the time. Yeah, it's just it just so happened that the big stars of light entertainment at the time were all shit. No, no, no. I mean the thing is, right? Okay, I understand the appeal of Roy Hudd's turn for an audience that's in its sixties or seventies in nineteen seventy-five. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, he's musical. You know, he's well, he's yeah. he's end of the pier. He's he, it's a safe pair of hands and 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 he can do more than one thing. Well, he he can sing, yeah. he can dance, uh, he can tell a joke. I yeah. think he can do a few impersonations. So he can do well, four yeah, things yeah. kind of competently. And he can do a bit of the old badinage with the uh, the pain. Yeah, yeah, and he's been thought. doing it for years, even at this point. Yeah, well, you know where you are with Hud, and it's not by any means. It's not offensive stuff, is it? It's... This falls into the category of, for me, I'm not the target audience for this. Yeah, so I think that's fair enough. I kind of switched my attention to, okay, well, if I'm not going to like this, rather than just sitting here going, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> is it competent? You know, if I don't yeah. find it funny. Can I get why other people... And with him, yeah, I, I, I get it. In fact, despite the fact I didn't enjoy a lot of the acts on here, the majority of them were a safe pair of hands, at least. Mm-hmm. The reason that I wasn't enjoying it wasn't because they were bad acts, yeah. but but because light entertainment was itself rotten and stinking yeah, and needed a good kick up their arse. Speaking of which, it's Act 3. Keith Harris, one of the leading ventriloquists in uh, the country, Roy informs us. In fact, Roy says, his mouth healed up last week. That's how good a ventriloquist yeah. he is. Do we get... Do I, <laughs> no such luck this week. Do I get a repeat appearance, Claxon, for Keith Harris and one for Cuddles? Well, or is it just know. for the double act? I think it should be one for each.
I know you think it should be one for each. Personally, I I, I think that it's it's good for maybe one and maybe a little bit of cuddles because we've seen Keith Harris on this podcast now on three separate <laughs> occasions, and this has been without doubt the best Keith Harris. Uh, appearance so far. Well, I think it's not colossally racist. It wasn't colossally. Racist. It's not casually no homophobic. Um, yeah. It, it just it, it wasn't impenetrably gormless and nonsensical. Yeah, that was his first one, wasn't it? Well, he's he was on um, he was on the Black and White Minstrel Show, mm. and he, then we also did Keith Harris's Christmas oh, party, yeah, yeah. which still still brings me out in hives, but. On, obviously, on the Black and White Minstrel show, we were both a little bit taken aback that he didn't have any of his usual characters. No. He, he'd, in fact, brought along a, a new array of much more racist puppets. <laughs> yeah. But this, this is old school. I don't know whether or not Orville came along later than this. I mean, this is 75. I would have assumed, you see, because I don't know anything about Keith Harris. I would have assumed that Cuddles was the spin-off. You know, well, he had Orville, so, who's very again, cute, and he was like, "Right, I want to spice this up a bit. I'm going to bring yeah. in a monkey that hates that duck." He didn't mention the duck at all, Cuddles. No, he did time. not. He just went through a, a perfectly reasonable ventriloquism act. I have to say, I mean, it's saying something when Keith Harris is the standout star of the <laughs> program, forty-five minute program, but. That, that I think is what we're dealing with here. I quite like cuddles, and this is cuddles. I think this is a Mark One cuddles. Mm. He's he's very large. He's very sort of rangy. Yeah, he's got great big flat hands and feet with black fingernails. Yeah, he's kind of all over the place. Yeah, he's got a slightly more simian nose. She, he's cheaper. Oh, he is. He's definitely cheap. No cheaper. <laughs> oh, oh, he's, defi- he's definitely cheap. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, he's definitely he's definitely cheap, and he's but, definitely yeah. cheeky. Uh, it it was it was all right, you know. It was again, it was kind of competently done, and it was nineteen seventies <laughs> comedy. I mean, I suppose at the time that cuddles would have been kind of a considered an upgrade to emu that's what he was going for wasn't it he wanted it to be like emu only it yeah. could talk uh, yeah and obviously that's the problem with emu. yeah that's the problem with emu is that it's really funny but not for very long yeah and then there's nothing no it's limited and then i mean yeah, it's, yeah? It, do you know yeah, what i mean limited. then it's down to the bloke to fill that void on their own until it's next appropriate for it to attack something or nod its head. I just I just don't understand Orville. The act that I saw there could easily have sustained Keith Harris throughout the 1980s. Maybe he wouldn't have been quite so successful, but then again, maybe I wouldn't run from any mention of him with such gusto. Because that bathos-ridden, stinking, nappy-wearing green duck... Is a prick and I hate him. Whereas Cuddles, you know, he's all right. A bit cheeky. Um, but yeah, the, cheeky monkey. Yeah, do he can do the odd impression. Well, I mean, I, I'm I'm always 
you know, surprised at your the vehemence of your opinions on random subjects. <laughs> I've really ate that duck. It looks to me like cuddles came first. Yeah. In fact, he had a show called Cuddles and Company before Orville came along. So he sold out, essentially. He sold out to the lowest common denominator, which is, as we all know, just mawkish sentimentality. Well, I don't know what he did with Orville. That's the thing. Did they have their own series? Uh, They definitely did, yeah. I mean, I remember Keith Harris all through the 1980s being a presence. And I'm fairly sure that there was there was a, a Keith Harris series. I remember there was an animated series even. Huh. Orville and Cuddles. Oh, here we are. Yeah, the Keith Harris show ran on Saturday evenings on BBC One from 1982 to 1990. That's, I mean, that's impressive. Eight years. You know? But... That's an impressive run. But the thing is that that, that then starts, I reckon, at the time that the Orville song gets in the charts. So my question is, what happened before that? What was, uh, you know, at what point did he hatch? Because he is a baby. I I assume it's a baby. (laughs) Otherwise he's incontinent. Yeah. Yeah. Or just a a fetishist. As ducks go, he doesn't even really look like a duck. Well, is he a duck? He is a duck. He's sort of a baby, but I think he's meant to be a baby. The whole thing is just weird and unsettling. Why has he done that? He's got a perfectly good act. Yeah. Oh, I will never understand. I mean, obviously, Keith is now no longer with us, so unable to explain his motivations. Yeah. I just hope that when they laid Keith to his rest, they shot that duck into the sun. I just He's really difficult to warm to. Yeah. You know, I don't mind cuddles. It's the prick that he's attached to. <laughs> well, I've got the Let's talk about Lena Zavarone. Yeah, poor, poor old Lena Zavarone. She was the fourth act on this, and actually, I think this is the first time I've ever seen Lena Zavarone perform. Right, yeah. Okay. She was quite a short-lived star, yeah. a little bit before my time, really. And at this point, she was 11 going on 12 in 1975. Mm. Uh, had won the previous year's Opportunity Knocks mm-hmm. with a landslide. Mm-hmm. Uh, her parents ran a fish and chip shop in Greenock. Mm-hmm. She was singing a bit of Elvis for us. Mm-hmm. She she sang a couple of songs. Smile, though your heart is breaking. Yeah. It's all rather unfortunate given the rather tragic trajectory of <laughs> Lena Zavaroni's later life. The trajectory of Lena Zavaroni's life is one of the saddest things that I've ever read. It's 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 really quite soul destroying to read. <laughs> really you you know, you you give up any <laughs> hope of there being a benevolent god. She was blameless and trapped with awful, awful psychological yeah. demons that she could never quite escape. And 
I think there is a strong possibility yeah. that she is in a better place now than she was for the last at least few years of her life. So, I mean, ultimately, these these psychological demons manifested mm. themselves in chronic anorexia. In an anorexia nervosa, which is yeah. a horrible, horrible, long drawn out yeah. way to die if you're going to die of something. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's everything I think about this is tempered by that, and it's impossible to see it without that lens. Um, having said that, those creepy ass bears. Yeah, let's talk about the bears. <laughs> because well, you got there. You got two bungles. Well, th- and two naked Paddington. She's accompanied. Basically. She's accompanied by four bears who are dancing in pairs. But yeah, from what, from what I could see, there were three moth-eaten bungles and one quite plush, brand new looking bear. So I can only yeah. assume they've been drawing lots or tossing a coin backstage as to who gets the nice bear and who gets the sweaty, pissy old bears that have been hanging around. Did I did I see one of them had an erection or did I did I did I imagine that? <laughs> but, I mean, if that had been what what set Lena Zavaroni on a on a downward trajectory, oh, no. yeah, it's so yeah. I mean. I, I I watched it, and and the thing is that for a second it took me to register that it was her. Mm. And I was like, oh, of course, yeah, she'd have been really young then, still. Well, yeah, I, I she impressive, impressive presence and ability. Yeah, fair fucks. She had a, you know, she she had a good set of pipes oh, on her, yeah. and you know the stuff that she was doing was a bit hokey, and in one case quite creepy. Yeah. But um, yeah, she she could sing. That girl could sing, and um, I mean, she's actually Lena Zavroni. If she was still alive, she would be almost exactly the same age as my sister. Okay. Born within a month of her. Has, uh, of have sister. you ever seen your sister accompanied by three manky bears and one n- nice bear? Just, just that one. Uh, just the once. The f- everyone, everyone gets that gets that day Every, in the sun. Where everyone gets one. They're followed by three threadbare bears, moth-eaten, yeah. pissy bears, and one brand Do- new bear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely spotless, pristine. Yep. Bear. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, obviously, Lena isn't very important. She's the, very much the hub of this show because uh, this, as you mentioned last week, the the whole thing being uploaded onto YouTube was done by an account called Lena Zavaroni Fans. Yep, fans of Lena Zavaroni with a Z. Yeah, so obviously there's there must be rival accounts <laughs> that, that managed to steal the one with an S. But yeah. you know, fair, or maybe they're just echoing the the Z at the beginning of Zavaroni. Yeah, I presume. Who knows? Roy then meets some of the holiday makers in the front row and asks them to tell him some jokes, which I think we should gloss over because. Yeah, I kind of lost interest a bit for a few minutes there. If I'm absolutely honest, it, uh, I mean, the the thing is that in 1975, British people were not used to standing in front of a camera. No. They weren't able to perform. 
And it's something that we've learned how to do without even really noticing it. If you and I, if if a TV camera stopped us in the street, we'd know exactly what to do. Well, yeah, we'd certainly have a a better idea about how it's going to play. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know... I think you'd be surprised at how... Yeah, no, I think you'd be surprised at how camera savvy you would be. We are made way more videoed and way more photographed than they would ever have imagined possible. But the point is there that if you stick the camera in front of them, they don't know what to fucking do. Well, certainly not Sarah, who admittedly was only five years old, but she got her knickers out. Yeah. And then told a quite poor joke. I didn't write any of the jokes down. I didn't think I would be needing them. Um, I might include some in the edit just so that everybody can really benefit from the crushing, that crushing feeling where you're just wading through some kiddie content, hoping it's not going to be as bad as you think. Now, Sharon, have you got a little joke for me? What's your joke? What's got teeth and never bites? What's got teeth and never bites? I don't know. A comb. A comb. Very good, yes. Little ripple, I think. Really good, Sharon. Now, who have we got here? Sharon, got a joke for me? What joke? What did the Frenchman say to his belly? What did the... (laughs) What did the policeman say to his belly? I don't know. What did the policeman say to his belly? You're under a vest. You're under a vest. Not bad. (laughs) And then the, the doting old people going, oh, aren't they sweet? And aren't their jokes funny? But again, you know... Made me sick. <laughs> I hate light entertainment. This programme is for old people. This programme would be pe- for people older than us, you know, if it was on now. Well, yeah. This programme is for people who were born in the 19th century. It is true. What would people? What would people who would be our age now, what would they be watching in 1975 that had a bit more get up and go what in our 40s yeah was there anything did TV Um, cater for the the postmodern post well no because we wouldn't have existed we'd have been like you know yeah like we'd have been 1975 48 yeah we would have been Albion Free State or dead yeah we were yeah we were I mean we would have been fucking hell if if we if we'd been that age then yeah, I'd only be two years older, like two years younger than my dad. <laughs> so okay. that, that's. Um, but I'm sure. I bet your dad wasn't watching Seaside Special. I think they used to watch the good old days. Ah, a similar, a similar show. Yeah, so the yeah, the kind of you know the indoor equivalent. Yeah, uh, there was all it was all musical acts. There was nothing else apart from musical acts. Yeah, uh, and it in, done in a theatre that was made up to look like a musical. Well, I don't even know why I'm telling you. You know fully well we're going to do it on this podcast one day. Uh, there, yeah, I, I, no, I had no, no illusions. But that was very popular and very successful and around for years. On the subject of what is old-fashioned and what is vogueish, I'm always interested to see stand-up comedians in these programmes mm. because obviously stand-up as an art form has changed a lot in the last 50 years mm. from being, you know, a bloke just telling jokes 
like have you heard the one about mm. and it's unimaginable now really that someone would just get up on stage and just tell jokes i know that there are comics that do it and there's some that do yeah. it very successfully but i think even they have got their own little spin on things so it was interesting to encounter derek dean who i'd never heard of mm. i'd hope to never yeah. hear of again mm-hmm. he he led off with some material about going on holiday to Spain, which mm-hmm. wasn't the usual sort of jokes. Have you heard this one? Have you heard that one? I'm going to do some racism. It was actually, you know, it was a bit of observational comedy that didn't work. <laughs> but, he, you know, he tried. He tried to do something different. The lukewarm response that he gets from this joke, I mean, obviously doing observational comedy does sort of presuppose that the people you're doing it for are going to have some inkling of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that that circus tent full of pensioners didn't necessarily look like a circus tent full of pensioners that really knew an awful lot about flying abroad to me. Yeah. But luckily, he had some additional material with him. I decided to stay at home and have two weeks golf. And on the golf course, you meet some very peculiar people. Now, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to give you an idea of a few people I met on the golf course. The first one is a real character. He's known as the, sh- the, uh, the show-off golfer. I'll give you an idea. Here we go with the show-off golfer. I don't know where you stand on extremely esoteric comedy, but mm-hmm. doing golf material on primetime BBC television, that's something else, isn't it? He had a club with him. He had sound effects. So mm-hmm. this preposterous, ludicrous, absurd, totally irrelevant pantomime was even um, even more complete picture of whatever golfer he was trying to impersonate. Yeah. God almighty, that was the that was possibly the low point of my life. Well again, you know, I I just sat watching that thinking I was thinking about these speciality acts they had in the 1970s. Yeah. I was thinking about old Bernie Clifton on his ostrich and uh, Norman Collier and his microphone that cuts out. Yeah. Again, though, a good act, a good act. Yeah, and I was thinking of those guys. And I was thinking that that's what this dude is, isn't it? He's one of those. He can come on stage and he can do that. Yeah, golf material. But the problem is that he's like fucking third division in comparison with your Clifton or your Hull. Well... Yeah. You know, because they will always be funny. If Even if only for 20 seconds, they will be funny. For a start, I mean, Norman Collier's act, for example, which was possibly the most one-note act in the history of British light entertainment. I think he used to do other voices as well. <laughs> it works because 
we all understand the concept of a microphone. Yeah. I don't know about golf. (laughs) Even if I did know about golf, my experience of golf wouldn't necessarily be the same as this prick. The the, the, the brazenness of going, oh, I'll just do some of my golf material. It's going to kill. What an arsehole. I'm really enjoying how outraged you are by so much of this. Well, it's it's absolutely It's all coming shit. flooding back now, isn't it? Well, it is. But why would you do it? Why? Why? How? Why? How? No. Oh, no. <laughs> he's, he's, he's made, no he's they made, laughed, didn't they? That, well, the audience laughed. To a certain extent, but I think the, the thing is... He was doing a certain amount of sort of pantomiming and gurning and flailing, and there were sound effects. And you just think it's like Gary Wilmot in Copycats, mm-hmm. where he was just mugging along harder and harder and harder until he gets a laugh. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not the material getting a laugh. That's just you absolutely degrading yourself. But then you could say, in that case, the problem is with the writers. Yeah, but I suspect that Derek Dean wrote his own material. And there's a good chance of that, yeah. A whole a whole room full of script writers, like The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, They come yeah. up with that. Barry Cryer's <laughs> out the back, working out of a routine for every one of the 14 clubs in his bag. God <laughs> almighty. Um, there's a second musical act before Tony Blackburn does his little stunt. The vocalist, John Britton, who's never been on television before. I doubt he ever was again. So, you know, that was John Britton's moment in the sun. (laughs) Yeah, well done, John. But having said that, after Tony has almost been killed by a Chinook helicopter in the English Channel, the next act is Tessie O'Shea. Now, that's a big act. That's a big music hall yeah, I mean that's your that's your headline act, isn't it, right there? You would think. I mean, Tessio shows a big, big star. Yeah. I mean, at this point, she's sixty-two. She was wearing a circular rug with a hole snipped in the middle of it. <laughs> um, but I was looking into Tessio show because I, I I was aware of Tessio show from a doc documentaries years and years ago about the history of British Music Hall and and its effect. Yeah. The comedy landscape. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's a really interesting subject. Yeah, well, Tessie O'Shea was big. She broke America. Yeah, I mean, I I knew her from being... First thing I saw when I saw her face, I was like, I recognise her. That's how fucking famous she is. As as you should. Yeah, well, she broke America. She appeared... She was on the Ed O'Sullivan show twice. The second time, she was a support act for the Beatles. So, you know, and I I guess, knowing what I do of of the Beatles in 1964, that they were probably impressed to be on a show with Tessie O'Shea because they reasonably rightly thought, we're in the big league now, lads, because we're we're on the big league with Tessie O'Shea. To Tom Tessie from Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, if it's 1964, it's still early in their careers. And this was, was it not the biggest television audience in American history? Yeah. 
It was pretty big. That That's a big star. And for me, she's a cut above everybody else on the show. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It was a bit sad uh, at the end when because she was going through the motions of thanking what was a, a much more appreciative audience in her own mind than the one that yeah. she got. But, you know, such are the slings and arrows of the music hall circuit. I'm sure mm. she'd seen it all before. It's in a, in a way, it felt a bit sad that here she was. Everything she'd done in her life had led to that point. All the lines converged at the point where you were recording an episode of Seaside Special with... Um... Well, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that she had a good life. Oh, um, no, yeah, there's no denying it. Packed a, packed a lot in. And it, as as such, as as always is the case, it's, it's nice to see these people in their actual element rather than, um, I mean, you know, this a 62-year-old woman wearing a rug um, <laughs> doing a couple of numbers on a BBC show isn't necessarily the full Tessie O'Shea experience, but then again, it's Tessie O'Shea. Big star. Yeah. How can it not be the full Tessie O'Shea experience if it is Tessie O'Shea? Yeah. Even though, in this case, Tessie O'Shea is followed by Keith Harris in a grey tuxedo. Yeah. Keith Harris now returns in a grey tuxedo. He's got a box. This can't be good news. Oh, no, it's okay. It's just cuddles. My concern was that he was going to bring out one of those racist puppets. Yeah, well, I did read, I, I, I did have a check afterwards, but at the time, I didn't know any better, and I wondered if it might be the orb, but obviously it wasn't, and was, and was never going to be. Cuddles has got his legs stuck in the box, mm-hmm. and then he blows up a balloon, and does an impression of Tommy Cooper, and as my notes yeah. put it, there are somehow still 15 minutes to go. <laughs> <laughs> Before the show, we asked for five volunteers and we've got them and to put them through their places right now, we have Sergeant Major Roy Hudd. Right, fags out. Weekend revallies away and pay attention. Because nobody sleeps when I'm on. By golly, it's hot in here, isn't it, eh? Me little perforations are full of, full of perspiration here, I tell you. <laughs> ah, so let's meet the five volunteers, squad. By the left, quick march. Here they are, here we Right, right turn, right turn. God help us. <laughs> Looks like a jumble sale on legs. Look at that lot. Right now. It, don't do that, madam, please. This is a, a classic sort of light entertainment staple, isn't it? Yeah. The comedian in a silly costume affecting a preposterous manner just um you know is a bit rude is a bit cheeky yeah to some um people that they got out of the audience i'm glad they do they still do that they probably do don't they 
I would guess so, but then again, not on the sort of programmes that I watch. Uh, they all know the sort of programmes you watch. <laughs> it reminded me a little bit of those programmes when there was that sort of brief flirtation with uh, hypnotists. Yeah. And you get all the people out and then they would just stand there and make a complete fool of themselves. But these these were sort of five resolutely middle-aged women. I mean, I don't know how old they were. Mm. I suspect, if you'd asked, they you would have been shocked by how low some of the ages were. But they, I would they like old. to think, I would like to think they were all older than me. Yeah, I would like to think that, but I suspect... But I don't think you can take it for granted. No. They're probably all dead now. I was going to say, I hope so. Whether, whether or not they... <laughs> I don't, I don't. Why would I do that? It would be an unspeakably cruel thing to think. Whether or not they remembered their meeting with Roy Hudd and TV stardom fondly. I mean, because, uh, again, you know, there's three channels at this point. Mm. Anyone, yeah. if anyone's, well, I don't know what sort of ratings you would get for Seaside Special. I imagine they would make, they would make modern TV producers weep, weep, yeah, into their quinoa. Salad. I was trying to. I think it was on Saturday evenings. Yeah. So would I be surprised if it was fifteen million? <laughs> Not in the slightest. So that's for, you know that's fifteen million people. It could be of, ten. You know, I don't know. I'm. You know, putting numbers out in the arse. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, but, say, but say it's like a, you know, a fifth to a quarter of mm. all the people in the country are, watch, uh-huh. are watching you. And yeah. as you say, as you said earlier, you know, it's not a lot of opportunities to be filmed. You know, mm-hmm. some people hadn't even got photographs of themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And these people, who were probably in the cinema the day that they, the Lumiere brothers showed that film of the train coming into the station and ran, all they all ran away. Mm-hmm. These old bags. This, this is this is big stardom for them. Mm. I yeah. can't, I can't remember anything about them. <laughs> Maybe I don't remember any of them launching a solo <laughs> career off it. Of course, nowadays they would. The they would be in Heat magazine. And oh, yeah, they'd have an agent. Yeah, they'd be Homer Simpson being middle square on Celebrity Squares for rolling a perfect game. They'd, they'd be all over that. Yeah. Do you remember me standing there wheezing with laughter while, uh, you know, a little rivulet of piss coming down my leg with mirth as, as yeah. Roy Hub told me that I was funny looking? Yeah, well, the, these... Fucking gormless looking pepper pots <laughs> standing on this stage. And I think what it is, is probably that they're just so unused to ever being talked to. Now that's also true, yeah. You know, there's every chance that, that, that people like that, you know, their spouse might be the only adult they ever talk to. Yeah. You know, didn't know whether you know. Would she have had a phone in nineteen seventy-five? Maybe. Well, it's very true. I mean, it's difficult. Uh, I mean, we've we've often we've often said uh, there there are no younger listeners to this podcast. But if there were, it's very difficult to express to younger listeners just how much the world has changed 
yeah. in yeah. in the last within, twenty years. Within, in the last twenty four yeah, well within living memory of of forty one year old Matt, which is me. Yeah. Um unimaginable change. And I imagine that you know, whilst maybe not quite as accelerated as it's been in the last 20 years, the same is true from five years before I was born in a Jerry Cottle's circus tent in Torbay. Fuck's sake. <laughs> I, hope it, I hope it wasn't, wasn't a hot summer because you're just sitting in there in your fucking tweed suit and tie watching Roy Hudd for hours. In the hot studio lights as well. God almighty. Who knows it? So, yeah, I'm not going to be watching any more episodes of Seaside Special. It was hog shit. That said, I might watch the 1977 series to get to, uh, get me on the outside of some of that Miss Seaside Special, which sounds like an incredible competition. I knew it. Yeah. So I hope you're pleased with yourself. Very. Yep, I will accept that. Rats. So, yeah. Creamy centres. Creamy centres. You got anything good this week? Uh, I found a couple of old episodes of Police Five over the weekend and watched those. Sure, Taylor. Hello. I can't really remember the format, but I mean, I know that it wasn't. It didn't have reconstructions, did it? No, they were only five minutes long. That's what made Crime Watch really. Yeah, that makes sense. It's what really made Crime Watch the the market leader. Yeah, Keep and Peeled obviously was the uh... the thing about right. Okay, so the thing that I always found that found weird about Police Five, and from what I can see, that changed according to where you were because it was regional. So you would have had the southern one, and I would have had the London one. Yeah, and on the the London one was very noticeable for its silence. It was usually just Shaw Taylor in like a office, sitting behind a desk, yeah. just talking with still photographs, maybe a photo fit. Every once in a while, they'd have like three seconds of a reconstruction if something had been, if one had been done for something else. And it was, I think it was fifteen minutes long in London. Obviously, cause there's so much crime there. <laughs> um, but it was still called Police Five. That's a shame. Uh, I could I could be wrong on that. I could be wrong on any of these things, but that's my memory of it. Um, and like I say, this overwhelming silence didn't have any theme music. Hmm. Didn't have any closing music. I think it might have had like a police siren at the end or something. Yeah, it was sort of a little. It was like a little insert, wasn't it? Sort of in between programs. Yeah, and it was very sparse. It was very you know there was nothing to it. And uh, I found it kind of unsettling when I was little, but I used to watch it anyway. <laughs> and uh, I've been back as an adult and found a couple of episodes, but I haven't watched them yet, so I'll, I'll report back. This, uh, when you found these episodes of Police 5 with Shaw Taylor, was this at the same time that you found the three-hour-long instructional video Join Us for Bridge with Shaw Taylor? Uh yeah. Did you did you just find a little cave, a little Shaw Taylor cave? I typed Shaw Taylor into <laughs> YouTube search. 
Don't laugh. Well, it's very funny. <laughs> it's quite niche, isn't it? It is quite niche. I mean... <laughs> I don't know how many people they had searching YouTube for Shaw Taylor that day. If there was anybody keeping an eye on that, and suddenly it was like, oh, hang on, we got one. Now he's searching how to play bridge. Well, that would actually, yeah, that would be a pretty important thing to know if you're going to, I mean, three hours is a long video. I've never spent more than five minutes in the company of Shaw Taylor at any one time. I'm tempted to watch all of it. (laughs) (laughs) And make you do the same thing. (laughs) Well, I mean, if if nothing else, it might teach us how to play bridge. But well, I you need, bloody hope so after three hours. Yeah, you need four people though. That's the thing about. I it. expect to be. I expect to be like the bloke of the mastermind board game cover. <laughs> by the end, by the end of my three hours in Shaw Taylor's, I want a cat on my lap, mm. and I want. A bevy of Asian beauties. Who is the? No, there's 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 one woman standing behind him, and it's somebody famous, or somebody famous's mum. <laughs> I think it's the sing. It might be the singer out of Lush's mum, well, or it might be it's someone like that. It's like a singer out of an indie band's mum. Yeah, I think it was it was somebody who later turned out to be. Uh, reasonably connected to another famous person. I think you're right on that. That Yeah, that's what I expect after three hours in the company of fucking Shaw Taylor yeah. learning all about Bridge. Well, we've, you know, we, That's yeah. the minimum of my... That's my minimum requirement. You've still got that to look forward to. My Creamy yeah. Centre this week was very much inspired by one of your Creamy Centres from last week. I was delving into random radio jottings it's good, the YouTube it? channel extraordinaire, <sighs> and I watched the Time Shift documentary about the rise of the DJ. Um, oh yeah, you've got the social history of the pirate ships, and and which you know, yeah. in learning about prog rock, which you know, as we, we touched on last week, Jesus is still is still uh, an iron that we've got in the fire. In learning about prog rock, I, I learned that the Pirate ships were actually quite important for the development of it because there wasn't anyone playing anything like, you know, album tracks, for example, on mainstream British media. You had to go to the Pirates. You had to go to John Peel playing, Mm. you know. Because the problem with the uh, pirate ships... Yes. Bunch of fucking Tories. Tory hippies. The worst sort of Tories. Fucking Radio Caroline (laughs) went back on air in the week of the 1970 general election just to tell people to vote Conservative. Yeah. They don't ever deal with that. That's your your wacky, crazy, zany fucking pirates for you. Hmm. Don't go after our tax, though. I didn't, I didn't, I have to say, I didn't get all the way through that programme because as soon as it got to Emperor Roscoe, I just couldn't stand it anymore. I I couldn't, the way that he was preening and pratting about. He's an idiot, isn't he, Roscoe? Just, honestly. 
Just have some a dignity. Weapon. You're already rich and famous. Have a bit of dignity, will you not? Honestly. <laughs> then again, I mean, I listened to uh, I listened to the '80s show with Gary Davis on Radio Two this uh, this last week. Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm well up to speed with my. But then again, you know, I was listening to Radio Two this week in the car. First song that they were playing on Radio Two was "Pump Up the Jam" by Technotronic. Nice. I thought, how oh, God, God. fucking old am I now? Yeah, that they're playing "Pump Up Radio the Jam" too. on Radio Two. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. That's decent. It's all yeah. It's all pile on. It's it's. Yeah, I mean out. the one thing I the one thing I know for sure is that I listened to quite a lot of Radio Two in the late nineteen seventies because my dad always had it on. Well, yeah, my nan used to listen to it. Radio Two now ain't nothing like Radio Two in nineteen seventy. No, well, I, I remember my nan listening to it in the you know Terry Wogan in the nineteen eighties, and they'll be playing pre Beatles stuff. You know, Perry Coma it was it was almost entirely pre-Beatles stuff. Um, and they now they're playing called... Technotronic. Yeah, they used to have a show called Friday Night is Music Night, which was like selections from musicals and oh, um, God. you know st- st- stage shows and what have you. Obviously, the sport used to be on the before Five Live. Yeah, of course. So European football Saturday afternoons would be on. The, the news hub lines with Roy Hud yes. was on Radio Extremely 2. Extremely long-running show. Yeah, for a very long time. The Grumbleweeds, they were on Radio 2. And going back to actually what I kind of wanted to say quickly about old um, Two-Ton Tessie. Yeah. Is uh, Hinge and Bracket. <laughs> and the reason I mentioned Hinge and Bracket, because they had a series I think on Radio 2 about that time. And the reason I mentioned Hinge and Bracket was because I was thinking about how there was this generation of elderly matriarchs on the TV. Yeah. And you had Annie Thingy in Coronation Street, and you'd had yeah. Ina Sharples before her. Hmm. And, you know, they weren't all battle axes, but they were, they were all women of a certain age who had a bit of fire in their bellies. Yeah. And Tutan Tessie, for me, falls into that category. And that's high praise. Well, yeah. It's Grandma Giles, isn't it? It's mm. um, Yeah, Grandma Giles, good example. Swatting, swatting the kids out of the way with an umbrella on the way to the betting shop. Yeah, it's um, Thora Heard. Putting, putting newspaper down so Wesley can move through yeah. his own house. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So, yeah, that sort of thing. And they're not all battle axes. No, but they're all strong matrician figures. Yeah, but they are of a certain type. And uh, I think she falls into that category. Well, no, I think you're, I think you're right. She's, there you go. She's in charge. Yeah. She was uh, Boss Hog. Boss Hog, If yeah. And the Boss Hog didn't exist at this point. Imagine that. Imagine a world where Boss Hog didn't exist. All of your cultural oh. touchstones shorn from you. 
Anyway. Anyway. Next week. It's your it's turn, turn to spin the dice. Yeah, and I thought long and hard about it because, you know, I yeah, like I, to, I like I like to try and mix up genres and and things. But then I thought let's keep it on a light entertainment tip. But let's go for <sighs> some light entertainment that I remember rather than um light entertainment from your childhood. So I've gone oh, for. going to make me. It's going to make me really angry. I've it? gone for the Russ Abbott show. I'm going to come out of your house <laughs> and punch your face from 1986. You fucking idiot! You know how bad this is going to be. <laughs> I used to love the Russ Abbott show, so I'll be interested to see whether or not it still holds up. I fucking hated it. Really? I hated it in 1986. You didn't. You didn't like any of the characters. Cooper Man. I think this was on Saturday nights in 1986. See you, Jimmy. Nothing. Les Dennis was on. He might, if you're lucky, he might do Mavis Wilton. <sighs> well, I don't really know. Bella. <laughs> Be- Be- let's not forget Bella Emberg. Now she's yeah. she's exactly that sort of woman that you were just talking about. Yeah, but there's not much to her, is there? You know, ironically, yeah, it's a one, it's a one-sided interpretation of the role, shall we say? Well, She's no Elsie Tanner. No, she could play quite a good comedy, Elsie Tanner. I'm sure. Well, no, she couldn't, because all she could really do there is is stand there and kind of look a bit pathetic. <laughs> that was her thing, wasn't it? <laughs> so there's this kind of woman in fancy dress. Who's standing there looking a bit pathetic, and I think the joke might be that she's fat. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure. Well, we'll, we'll, maybe the joke is that maybe the joke is that she's fat and pathetic. I we're gonna know. we're gonna find out. I haven't I haven't watched this particular episode yet, but brief Good. brief prodding around using the old navigation bar has led me mm. to believe there might be a Jekyll and Hyde skit in there somewhere. Oh no! <laughs> so that's one to look forward to. Why do you do this? Why do you keep on? You keep on doing this. You chose Seaside Special. Yeah, well, it had Keith Harrison. It had Roy Hudd in it. It had John it Britton, did. his first it and did. only TV appearance, <laughs> and the last TV appearance of the late Tony Blackburn, who drowned yeah. in the English <laughs> Channel in August 1975. But anyway, I'm done. I can't take any more. <laughs> we'll be back again. We'll be back again at the same time next week. Thanks very much for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>